The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The Gospel reading this morning is taken from the book of St. Mark, chapter 1, verses 4 through 11, and can be found on page 1551 in the Pew Bible. Mark 1, 4 through 11. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. I love the account of the baptism of Christ. I really love the epiphany of God claiming his son and the words that he speaks. A father claiming his son, saying that I love you. I'm well pleased with you. And I love that because that's what God said to me and to you in your baptism. Let's get started. A paradox A paradox is a statement that seems to contradict itself and yet may be true. And the Bible is full of paradoxes. Let me give you an example or two. The Son of God is Lord of all, and yet... He comes to be our servant. 
We are by nature sinful, and we therefore lead sinful lives. And yet, God declares us holy for Jesus' sake. We are born enemies of God, and yet, God adopts us into his family. Today's gospel, well, it has a paradox in it. In the gospel, John expressed this paradox when Jesus came for baptism. He said, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? John, you see, baptized with water for repentance. And the first step of repentance is the acknowledgement of sin. But Jesus is the one and only human being who led a life without sin. In fact, John, the baptizer, he knew that he himself was a sinner. He himself, a sinner who needed to repent. So John was really bewildered by the idea that he, a sinner, would pour the waters of repentance over the head of the only person, the person that he was not worthy of loosening his straps on his sandals. He would pour water over his head, the one who knew no sin. It didn't make sense. It was a paradox. The apostle Paul explained this paradox with another paradox. Thank you, Paul. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul writes, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And even though Jesus never sinned, God made him to be sin. How can this be? We struggle with paradoxes of the Bible because of the limitations of our broken bodies, of our broken humanity. When God came to the end of the sixth day of creation, according to Genesis 1, 31, he, God, saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And This did include Adam and Eve, the human beings that he had created. Now, sadly, 
that goodness lasted a very short time. Adam and Eve, they sinned, and they broke the universe. They were no longer very good. They were corrupted, and they passed this corruption to their children, and their children's children, and their children's 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 children until us. That's why we give birth to little sinners. They pass that corruption. The universe and mankind have been corrupted since that very day. That corruption limits our ability to think, to imagine. The epistle reading that we just heard illustrates the limits of that corruption. How? Well, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul had just made a very strong case that salvation is entirely God's work. Whose work is salvation? God's. That you and I can contribute nothing to our salvation. Amen? He taught that God's grace increases to cover all of our sins and that our sinful corruption immediately de demonstrates its limits. How? By asking this, should we not sin all the more so that God's grace can continue to increase? Wow, that's childish. This, this question can take many forms. You could say, if God forgives all of my sins, I can sin as much as I want, right? Or, why should people be good if everything is forgiven? Now listen to me for a moment, but these questions assume something that our limited, corrupted thinking doesn't notice, and that's this. They assume that humans believe that there is a benefit to sin. That somehow sin is more than a desirable thing. These questions assume, which rightly so, that mankind is by nature sinful and unclean. These questions also assume that the only way to get people to behave is by force. Reward for good and punishment for bad behavior. And it is our corrupt, sin-filled nature, our flesh, that is unable to see a good reason for good works other than reward, or punishment. Now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul anticipated this thinking when he wrote this. 
What shall I say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means, exclamation point. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Because Jesus Christ has earned our salvation with his suffering and his death. Because that salvation has been delivered to us by the Holy Spirit through water and word. Because of that, we are dead to sin. We are free from sin. Sin is no longer our master because Jesus Christ has redeemed our corrupted thinking so that we can now understand that there is no benefit to sin. Stay with me. Christ's salvation has freed us from our desire to sin. We now have a desire to do good instead. And that is the reason why we are so frustrated with the sin that still shows up in our lives. Paul then takes us back to the, today's gospel. Through baptism, we are joined to Christ. That is, his life is for us. His death is for us. His resurrection is for us. You see, Jesus came to John the Baptist to be baptized for us. Now, <clears throat> there are several words in the original Greek that can be translated as forgiveness. And one of the words contains the idea, and this is more for a visual, I think will help. It helps me. Hopefully it'll help you. But the word contains the idea of actually lifting something up and carrying it away and then putting it down. So when Jesus Christ was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the Father lifted the crushing burden of sin away from you and from me, and he laid it on that baby. The great gospel writer of the Old Testament, there is gospel in the Old Testament, by the way, but the great gospel writer of the Old Testament, Isaiah, said this in Isaiah 53, 4, 6. You've heard it before. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds 
we are healed. All, we like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So the paradox of Christ's baptism is solved now. He came to the Jordan as the greatest sinner of all, not because he had ever sinned, but because he carried the sins of the world. The Father made him to be sin, he who knew no sin. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And in his baptism, Jesus stands with us in our baptism. And the Holy Spirit joins us together. Now, repentance recognizes the terror of sin. And although Jesus never sinned, he did carry away the sin of the world. And even though the sin was not his, he still endured the terror of its punishment. He carried and placed your sin on the cross. And pinned to that cross, that terror that he carried for you and for me caused him to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he hung there between you and the Almighty, between the Almighty's wrath the wrath of God's justice. He took that for you and for me. And he took the blows of your sin into himself. He satisfied the perfect eternal justice for God, the one that was required by God of you, and he did it. And the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write this. That we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Jesus has carried your old sinful nature kicking and screaming to the cross. Jesus carried that old sinful nature into death and he left it there when he rose from the dead. And therefore you are no longer slaves to sin. God responded to the baptism of Jesus with a great epiphany, as I said in the opening of this. For a brief moment, all three persons of the triune God 
reveal themselves as the team that they are. We see God the Son that stepped up out of the water. We see God the Holy Spirit descended in a visible form like a dove. And we see God, what we hear, God the Father speak from heaven. And he said, this is my beloved Son whom I love, and I am well pleased. And here we see the unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the making of a salvation reality. It became real there. The epiphany, the ta-da! Here it is. Salvation. The baptism of Jesus in the Jordan publicly demonstrates that Jesus identifies with sinners. He has come to take the people's place. He has already carried the sin of the world from his conception. But his work, that work, was private. With his baptism in the Jordan, his work of salvation becomes public. The epiphany of the Father and the Spirit, they proclaim his mission to the world. And that is that this Jesus is the innocent sin bearer who will take away your sins and my sins. Now, according to the early church, the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan is the official beginning of Jesus' public ministry. During the process that the early church used to replace Judas, you remember him, right? The one who betrayed him on the night in which he was betrayed? Peter records this in Acts. He says, One of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to the resurrection. The baptism of Jesus in the Jordan it points us forward to all the work Jesus did for us. That is, his perfect life, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the work he still does among us as our risen and ascended Lord. It points us forward to our own baptism as a means for the Holy Spirit to deliver salvation unto us. Remember your baptism because that is where in oneness in your baptism and my baptism in togetherness not far off our God our Savior was not far off Jesus is in the water with us and becomes one with us. And he suffers with us. 
And he died for us. And he begins healing the corruption that limits us. He begins healing the corruption that hides the truth from us. He shows us that he is the sinner's friend and the sinner's savior. And he makes us his own that we may live with him forever. In the name of Jesus, amen.